Thank you so much, Michelle and Haley, for leading us in thinking about the amazing grace of our God. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite your attention to the New Testament letter of Titus. Titus is a small letter that Paul wrote. You can find it if you find First and Second Timothy and take a right. It's toward the end. If you start in Revelation, take a left, you'll find it there. Maybe a little difficult to find because it is a small letter in volume, yet it is an incredibly uh, massive work in terms of doctrine and practice for us. We're continuing in a series that we've called Faith Begins at Home. And our desire and our focus is to help you to see that God has a, a principled design for you in the way that you live out your life. And so I want to make sure that as we said last week, the same qualifier uh, really fits today. As we talk about parenting, some of you check out and say, well, I'm not there. I'm a second grader, I'm a senior in high school, or I'm a 70-year-old. And so parenting is kind of not in the, the focus of my radar right now. And I would imagine some of you came today and said, he's going to preach a message to mothers today. Well, I want to use that as sort of the background, the foundation for what we do. But we will see from Scripture as we look at God's design for life that it applies for all of us across the board. So let's look together in Titus, beginning in chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 5 and then uh, move on from there. But beginning Titus 1 and verse 5. Paul writes to Titus and says these words, The reason that I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to point elders in every town. So here's what I want you to see. We'll, we'll skip over to verse 10 here in a moment, but he just simply says, Titus, I left you there to establish some things. I want you to make sure that you set leadership up in the church. I want you to make sure that you appoint leaders that will guide the process of the growth and development of the faith there on that Isle of Crete. And then verses 6 and following, he just gives some basic instruction for what kind of leaders needed to be there. Now look with me, if you will, beginning or picking back up in verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds deny Him. Let me say that again, verse 16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance, and now we'll pick up with the focus of our teaching today in verse 3 and following. Older women are to be likewise reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, 
workers at home, being kind, uh, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Join me in praying. Father, we pray today for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, may we think and respond to you alone. I pray that those that are here would hear beyond the voice of a mere man that you would speak to us today through your Word, by your Spirit. This is our earnest expectation and our humble desire and longing. In Jesus' name, that we would hear from you. Amen. Sometimes I struggle on days like today, Mother's Day, Father's Day, various holidays that we've set up, various emphasis that we've set up. Why would I struggle? Well, I struggle because I want to make sure always, as your pastor, that the emphasis of our worship is upon God. Now, I, I, I want us to, to see that as the clear need of the hour. We need to hear from the Lord. Amen. That was a few of you. That was 12 of you. I think good. Thank you. Amen. We need to hear from the Lord. And I want to make sure that what we focus on today is in proper perspective. Now, sometimes we think cynically that a, a holiday, an observance, a recognition like Mother's Day was created by Hallmark or by American Greetings, but that is not the case. In fact, 1914, eight weeks before we would enter into the very first World War, uh, a resolution was brought before a joint session of Congress and President Woodrow Wilson to honor motherhood in the home, the place of and role of women in the home, the second day of May. And the president signed that bill and that celebration ensued, and we follow it up all the way until today, 103 years later. Now, I, I want you to think about this. It's only taken us one century as uh, an American society to build up and exalt motherhood, and then over the last two or three decades to begin to deride it, to discourage it, even dismantle it. I mean, think with me, if you will, the, the idea that very earnestly here in our society, laws have been passed, perspectives adopted, resolutions entertained, that erode family life, that, that take away from the family, that take away from the roles that God has for men and for women, that attack gender, that attack God's design for the home. And now, I don't ever want us to be fearful of culture, and I don't want us to just rail against culture while we're in here and, and try to huddle up in a holy huddle and wait for God. No, I want us to really... Uh, and sincerely begin to look at the lens of the, the culture that's around us through the lenses of our Bible. And as we look together, we'll understand how we should live as husbands and wives, how we should live as children, how we should live as employers, employees. And as we think about faith beginning in the home, as we clearly focus there, I believe Paul brings to bear some things for all of us to hear today as he speaks to Titus. I, I want to say this, the, the words of Paul to Titus are very practical. He, he deals with doctrinal issues in many of his other letters, but in this letter in particular, he talks about how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves, how we carry ourselves. And as he does, he says something great to us. I didn't put this in your notes, but you ought to write this down. A powerful testimony 
to the grace of God is our conduct. Let the weight of those words sink in. It is a great and wonderful, powerful testimony that you have received the grace of God by your conduct. And Paul is telling Titus to teach those that are under his care, live this way. Now, I said last week that culture around us, the world around us is not neutral. It's sort of like leaning into the wind. If you don't lean into it a bit, you're going to be blown away by it. And he's telling Titus and he's telling us over Titus's shoulders. we read, especially in the home, we see the Bible clearly affirms family is foundational. And he gives to them instruction on how they should live. Now, you know this very well. All throughout Scripture, we understand that parents are worthy to be honored. They may not always act honorably, but it is always wise, prudent, and expected for you to honor parents. Why? Because they're parents. And because God placed that high calling on their lives. Not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. Because God has designed it that way. I want you to hear this today. In motherhood, every mother has a high calling and a sacred duty. Now, some of you say, I don't feel like mine is a high calling in the daily grind. You might not see your work as a sacred duty as you deal with lunch and laundry and litter, as you deal with your roles as chef and chauffeur, as you deal with your role as coach and counselor or even referee or ringleader. I love this. I read it this week in an article. Uh, Irma Bombeck, who was a, a humorous writer in days gone by, grasped this. Listen to these words, and I bet I'll probably get an amen from uh, a woman or two here. She said, it hits... On an overcast, dull Monday morning, I awake to the realization that there's no party in sight for the weekend. I'm out of bread. I've got a dry skin problem. So I say out loud to myself in this waking stir, what's a nice girl like you doing in a dump like this? The draperies are dirty and in fact would disintegrate if laundered. The arms of the sofa are poking through. There's Christmas tinsel growing out of the carpet. And some clown has written in the dust on the coffee table. It's those rotten kids. It's their fault that I wake up feeling so depressed. If only they'd let me wake up on my own terms, in my own way. Why do they have to line up along my bed and stare at me? They stare at me like Moby Dick has washed up upon some beach somewhere. And now, as your pastor, I get to tell you that it is a great high privilege to be a a mom. Those words may ring true to our daily experience. But I want to talk to you for just a moment from these words to Titus about the privilege of the high calling. The privilege of the high calling. And I want you to do so in the face of a confused culture. That's the next thing I want you to see. There is confusion in the culture. Would you agree with that? There's confusion about this matter of motherhood, about uh, the role of a woman, about gender. And if you think with me backwards, it's not uh, that we arrived here immediately. It's been a long, slow process. 
Over the past three decades, there have been movies and television shows. And again, I'm not just deriding culture, but I want you to hear this. I, I go back to movies like Three Men and a Baby or Mr. Mom or Mrs. Doubtfire. We go to modern things that we see on television like Modern Family or Transparent. And, and it has steadily progressed away from God's design for the family. And it's progressed. And we humorously laughed at it and said, well, it's not really about gender. But it is about God's design. And there is a privilege, too, in the face of this confused culture to being just what God has called. You see, all of those suggested in a humorous way. And there are clear expressions in this humorous way, clear expressions of a worldview that run counterculture straight against that of a sovereign God. You see, they challenge and undermine the unique role of moms. A worldview that suggests that the role has little to do with gender and clearly, clearly says certainly those things did not come from a divine, sovereign God. We were softened up. I want to make sure you see this, that we went through this path together. We as a, a society have been softened up. We made to think it's funny or humorous or marginal or even irrelevant that moms would have this high calling. And then the door was open, and once the door was open, we are steamrolled with an agenda that has completely attacked the foundational principles that God gave to us. The mindset is so absurd. Think about this. That a mother's body is the producer of a child and the necessary nourishment for a child. And yet they would say that's an evolutionary happenstance. Definitely not regarded as beautiful and infinite workings of a sovereign creator. So here we are. We stand here in 2017. This is all background to think about the privilege of being a mom. Here we are in 2017 with two competing worldviews. One says that matter and chance, uh, matter and energy uh, were, were just random in this chance possibility that they would bang together and create stuff. They've always been there and they just created stuff. And that stuff ultimately in this evolutionary upward moving process came to the place of inventing human beings. And human beings ultimately invented God. That's one worldview. And there are many who have espoused it. And then there's another worldview that just goes back to the earliest pages of Scripture that says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Now, some of you here today might espouse a worldview without even thinking about it. You claim the name of God, but by your actions and your attitudes, you move away from the very thought that God created everything and rules everything and guides everything. And that's what Paul was telling Titus. He said, they profess God, but by their actions, they denounce Him. You see, it is a high testimony to you having received the grace of God, your conduct. And so the way that we live matters. And if faith truly is going to begin at home, then let's look together at what the Word says to us. You see, that worldview of God created everything is challenged over and over and over again in our society. That worldview that would go on to establish that not only did God create in the beginning, but He created everything, including the family, the family structure, and gender, and roles, and so on. And so we come to this place, 
2017. Tragically, pulpits and pews of too many of our churches have created an army of people that seek to reinforce those godless views. They refuse to bow down to the authoritative dictates of the Bible, and they can't even fathom why we would would see that as liberating. They say, oh, no, 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 the Bible is repressive, and the Bible is just to to bind up weak-minded people. And the reality is when we begin to see what Paul is saying here, this kind of life is the freest kind of life there is. There is great confusion in the culture. Interestingly, if we did a, a historical study, by the time the New Testament is written, by the time that Jesus made a mark on history, you see that the, the, the faith of Christianity was attacking very squarely the Roman chauvinistic culture. It was liberating for women. Uh, you think about the, our day and age, and, and, and you begin to say, you know, women uh, shouldn't be pushed into the mold of this Bible. The Bible is freeing because it says you can be everything that God created you to be. You don't have to compete, compete with men to try to be something different. It's quiet in here. Why? Because there's confusion in the culture. We're scared if we say something or tweet something or put it on Facebook, people are going to attack it, and all of a sudden we're just in trouble with the culture around us. You see, worldview number one says God is sovereign and sets the rules. And how do the people on the other side live if, if God doesn't set the rules? They just make up their own. And that's the confusion of the world that we live in. People are just setting their own rules. I've heard people time after time after time say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. And then they list the qualifications. Well, I pay my taxes and I love my wife and I keep my grass mowed. And I want to say, when in the world is a manicured lawn and paying your taxes a standard for goodness? God said holiness is the standard. So for you and for me, you say this, Pastor, is kind of a strange Mother's Day message. I promise we're going to move forward through this. But we need to see that the Bible is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. It is an authority, a guide, a map. And if we don't stay with our feet firmly planted there and our eyes firmly fixed there, we will stray. I had a professor in seminary who often said we ought to live with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. That we discern the times that we live in through the timeless Word of God. So even through cultural confusion, praise God, there's biblical clarity. I want you to see that. There is clarity in Scripture. Biblical clarity, it's established. It's not opinion, it's God's Word. Uh, we'll move through those priorities in just a moment. I want you to see some, some things there. But I, I just, I, I can't get past this. This week I saw on television a countdown of, of mother-daughter movies. And, and I remembered one of them. It, it was a long time ago. The mother was played by Cher. And she and her teenage daughter were fighting. I know it's a long time ago, but it was on the list. And they're fighting with each other. And, and it, it rises to the level of a screaming match. And she finally just stomps her foot and said, What am I going to do with you? You didn't come with instructions. That's the cry of secular women all across this nation. I want to tell you this morning that our kids do come with instructions. The Bible gives us foundation for the home. So it is a privilege to be 
all that God's called you to be as a mom. But I also want you to move forward and I want you to begin to see this. It's not only a privilege there. Let's move forward and see that there are some priorities of this high calling. There are some priorities of this high calling. And I want to make sure that you see this very, very clearly. Now, don't get tied up. As we look back at verse 3, older women, likewise to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Ladies, don't get hung up on the older part. Okay, you say, well, I can't teach Sunday school because I'm not an older woman. All right, you are both. If you're 40 here today, you probably claim 39, but if you're 40, you are older than the 30-year-old women. And if you are 40, you are younger than the 50-year-old women. So you all are both. Okay, so don't get hung up on that. Paul is simply focused on women who have had some level of life experience that would lead them to a place where they have sympathy, understanding, and wisdom. Her years of life have given her and her desire to please God have given her a unique vantage point to offer good and godly advice. Many of you are there. And, and I love this. This encouragement comes in the normal flow of life. I loved how Alistair Begg said it this way. He said, this instruction happens in the crib, not the classroom. It happens by the sink, not in a study. We're not talking about you donning the cap of a professor. It's, not, uh, in, a, it's in, a, in a nursery, not in a seminary. It's in a minivan or a mall, not in a master class. He's simply saying, if you have gained this wisdom from the Lord, you need to begin to teach other women to be this way. The priority is there. So you're asking me, Pastor, we don't have much time left today. What can I do? I mean, I make the PB&J, and I shove them out the door toward the bus, and, and I make the beds and so on. What difference can I make? What can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. The older women are to teach the younger women, and this isn't in your notes, you need to get this one as well. This is a key point that things hinge on. There is no greater task or responsibility than to make a godly home. There is no greater task, there is no greater responsibility than to make a godly home. That is the priority that God has laid out for women. He says to them very pointedly, these priorities are focused. And, and we're going to look at them in verses 4 and 5 in just a moment. Why would I be saying these things? Again, this is sort of background, but you need to hear it. The clarity of Scripture challenges all of the confusion of our culture. And there has to be a trumpet sound of truth somewhere. The pulpits of this nation need to return to that place to herald God's plan and say, we're headed for a mess. If you think of where we are here from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, think about where we'll be in 20 years if the Lord's not come back. Do you realize that in this day and age there are lawyers that are actually advertising there's an 800 number and your children can call a lawyer and emancipate themselves from your uh, tyrannical ways. I, that is so absurd. Here is your seven-year-old. He's picking his nose and slapping his sister and you give him the powwow treatment. You know what that is, right? You pow and he goes wow, you know? I mean, it's, and he's going to call an 800 number Try to get dad removed from the house. If that's where we live, then the priorities need to be settled and fixed from the word of God. 
So let's look together at verses 4 and 5 and see what these priorities are very quickly in the time we have together. Verse 4. Well, let's back up to verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. There's a lot packed into this. They're to be reverent, self-controlled. There's to be a decorum about a godly woman. Not loose, not squandersome, not slanderous or drunkard, but teaching what is good. Now, intrinsically good. I love that. It says teach what is good. It has two meanings here. Intrinsically good and good in value. Let me explain it this way. A shot is a good thing. Some of you would disagree adamantly with me and say a shot is never a good thing. But the medicine that is in a shot can be helpful to you. It's intrinsically good. The way that a nurse gives a shot gently can be good and make it a little more appealing. It says teach what is good. Teach that which is intrinsically good and teach it in a way which it is good. What are they to teach? Verse 4 said to encourage the women to love their husbands and to love their children. Number one, they're to teach them. Here's a priority, learning to love. Now I know that sounds odd to encourage someone to learn how to love their husbands and their children. The Bible in other places places great priority on husbands loving their wives, but here it says learn to love your your husband and your children. We can be taught to love. We have to be taught. Because there's a drastic difference in the superficial, selfish love of the world and the selfless, sacrificial, agape love that God wants us to have for one another. You see, it's not about feelings. I I need someone to continually teach me how to love my wife and my children. You need someone to teach you and to work through what God has for us. And ladies, let me say this to you. When this kind of love is absent from your heart and your home and your life, the gap cannot be filled by a pretty house or a career or your desire to go to the gym. Those are empty substitutes. God's design is that you would learn how to love selflessly and sacrificially in the context of a home. And when you do, when that becomes priority, your home will function in a dynamic way with an incredible purpose. We'll see in a moment. I love this. Albert Barnes said in his Bible commentary notes, Mutual love between a husband and wife will diffuse comfort throughout the obscurest cottage of poverty. The want of it cannot be supplied by all that can be furnished by the castle or the palace of the great. If that is true, then it's good to go back to the Bible and always get a a focused refresher on what God has designed us to be. He he says, learn to love. Let let me just pull over for just a second as a side note. This summer, I, I plan to do a a marriage focus. It'll be a class, a small group class. I'm not sure exactly how, when, or where, but we'll be talking about it on marriage oneness because I think that there is a real fundamental need for us together to get this issue down so that we would stand strong as united families. There needs to be a learning to love. But secondly, from this text, yearning to live in self-control and purity. 
Verse 5 says she needs to be sensible and pure. That simply means self-controlled. Apply it this way, ladies. You need to be self-controlled in how you dress. You need to be self-controlled in how you keep yourself. Self-controlled in how you keep house. Self-controlled in how you spend money. Self-controlled in what you read. You know, in our culture, again, it seems oppressive. Oh, you would tell me I can't do certain things. No, you need to be self-controlled in those things. And when you are, it brings an incredible level of harmony, but it also honors the Lord. And when that happens, it's liberating. Thirdly, I want you to see this, a spurning of the world's expectations. Learning to love, yearning to live with self-control and purity, and spurning the lies of the world's expectations. Look at verse 5 continuing. Workers at home, kind, being subject to their husbands. Now, in this day and age, staying at home is marginalized and demeaned. And I'm not saying at all it's sinful for a woman to work outside the home, but it says that she is to be the one who would keep the home. I'll say this. You will never regret staying at home if you can because the time will pass so quickly with your children. And you need to invest all that you can into them during the time that they're in your home. I'm afraid that, that we have bought into the notion of everything that the culture has sold us. You, you see, the reality is you would do better to have two chairs and no couch than you would to have a room filled with furniture and lose your children. And I'm not saying that buying things is bad. I'm simply saying that you need to focus on the right priorities. And here it's saying, spurn the world's expectations. Don't let the world press you into what it says your home ought to look like. Make your home look like what God has designed it to be. Amen? You guys are fading fast. There's no greater contribution than the selfless activity of the home. Moms, your, your children won't remember you because you read the classics or because you went to a good university or because you advanced in your career. They'll remember your kindness. And the Bible here says very simply, teach them to love their husbands and their children. Teach them to be diligent workers at home, self-controlled, and teach them to be kind. They'll remember that. All right? There's one more priority here. It says, be subject to your husbands. Oh, wait, I'm out of time. We, gotta, we just can't do that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's not difficult to live out God's design for you when you set your heart to it. Listen to this headline. Three friends in their early 20s were sentenced to 15 years in prison today. For removing a stop sign as a prank, they caused the death of three teenagers who drove into the path of an eight-ton truck in February of last year. I read those words and just began to think, you can't tamper with the direction without bringing discord, disappointment, and ultimately destruction. It was funny in a cartoon for the roadrunner to spin the road sign and make the, the coyote go the other way, but I want to help you see this the culture around us has spun the sign and we're going the way of the dodo and we've lost our minds when it comes to what God says to do and to be 
And when it says for women to be subject to their husbands, it can't be divorced from the total picture of Scripture that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And when I love my wife that way, she has no problem following my leadership. When did it become repressive to be who God designed you to be? Church, I I recognize our time is gone, but the priorities of the home ought to be such that you would say the Word of God lays out clear instruction, clear direction, and when I follow it, I am blessed. It leads to love and joy and peace and patience, stuff that people are spending billions of dollars to try to manufacture or find. It takes us to our final point. What is the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of the high calling of motherhood? Two words in Scripture. I love this. It says, so that. He says, Titus, this is how the older women are to act toward the younger women, teaching them these things, so that. Everybody say those two words with me. You ready? So that. Say them again. So that. That He says, so that the word of God will not be maligned. Here's what it looks like in practical terms today. Girl, why do you give your husband so much respect? Does he deserve it? Not always. She scratches her head. Is he that good to you that you would act that way toward him and toward your children? No, not always, but... The Bible tells me I should do that. Well, you listen to that Bible? Well, I sure do. And she sees a difference in her friend's life. She sees a difference in her friend's marriage. And she says, well, what else does that Bible say? And that that Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that Bible tells me that Jesus came and paid for my sin so that I would not have to be eternally separated. And I could spend eternity in absolute joy and bliss in heaven in his presence. You really believe that? Yes, I do. Well, I guess you do. You know why? Because I see you living it out the way you treat your husband. Do you realize that one of the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest defenses of the faith is your conduct? One of the greatest things that you and I can do for the Christian faith is to display the difference that Jesus Christ makes in our hearts and in our homes. And I close there. May we have a church filled with Godly women who desire to live the design that God has placed in their life. We are equal in Christ as men and women, absolutely, as brothers and sisters, yes. But we have distinct roles and responsibilities. And when we begin to live those out in earnest expectation that our lives would not malign the word of God, but lead people to Jesus. It changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time today. Lord, thank you for all of those who have served in the capacity of mom. Thank you for our own mothers. God, I pray that you would today help each of us determine in our hearts that we're going to live by God's design. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and sing a hymn of invitation, a hymn of decision. As we sing, you let God have his way. Maybe you need to unite yourself to this church. Maybe you've run from God and you've spurned his 
designed for you. And today you need to be saved. We'd love to share with you from God's Word what it means to trust Him. Let's sing together.